0: Peace and mercy to you, from God our Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As I said at the beginning of the service, that reading from Ephesians is the reading that can take your breath away because when I mentioned that in our bulletin, it's two paragraphs, but it is one sentence in the Greek. So, if you actually, I actually found a nice translation that takes out the periods because they softened up for us English speakers. But if you actually read it straight through, yes, you can probably need to take a breath. But it's very, it's not characteristic of Paul to write like this. So why does he pick this little section, this text, to be the time to have an exhaustively long sentence? that create nightmares for English teachers. Because what he is talking about is the doctrine upon which the church stands or falls. He's talking about the question, why are some people saved and not others? And I can tell you the way that this passage is approached is actually at the core of the reason why we have so many different church bodies. Why we the answer to the question: why are some saved and not others? Now I want to put a little precursor. Now, as I say this, and I'm going to talk about different denominations, I am not saying only Lutherans are saved. Just because, I have to say that because of oh, I think Lutherans are only ones in heaven. I'm not saying that. Okay. In every person. but here's the deal: every Christian denomination, if they are still truly Christian, they believe each and confess that we are born sinners. We are born in rebellion to God. That we, so as Paul or the Psalmist says, "In sin did my mother conceive me." So it's not the conception that was a sin, but rather that at the point of conception, David was a sinner. And note, you don't sin because, you're not a sinner because you sin, you sin because you're a sinner. Just as you don't, coughing isn't, doesn't, you don't cough because, so you, coughing does not mean you have a cold, rather you cough because you have a cold. Does that make sense? So your sins are a symptom of the underlying sickness. So this is confessed by every single Christian church. So the question comes is, how can we stand before a holy and righteous God? What hope is there? The answer that some church bodies have been is that you can get right with God. the sacraments, so you you do you do penance, you do all these different things, and on top of that, you do enough good works, then you can appease God's wrath. There's, and believe it or not, some idea of good works theology is the predominant theology of pretty much every American. They've done studies that over 60% of Americans when asked, American Christians, when asked, if they if they were to go to heaven, the answer was, yeah, I think I'm a pretty good person. And by the way, they did a study of Elton, Luth- Missouri City of Lutherans, 60% of Missouri City of Lutherans said the exact same thing. Which, by the way, theologically, that means you're not really a Lutheran, because that's the whole book of the whole Reformation which is where I think there's this great right little, if anybody's ever f- familiar with the Babylon Bee, their satirical news state network. So they're on Facebook and everything on the internet. Recently, I thought this was a really good little post that they put up that says, a Calvinist dog, remo- dog reminds his owner that no one's a good boy. Which is accurate. Scripture tells us that there is no one who does good, not even one. There is no one righteous. No, not one. We are, and so we think that we can be good enough, but we can't. Scripture is very clear on this. In fact, in the second chapter of Ephesians, that's where you get that one that verse that, that you are saved by grace through faith apart from. From works, so that no one could boast. But see, here's the thing is so we our sinful nature, our sinful nature is always trying to find ways to get ourselves involved in our salvation, to make it so that we at least did something. And so the well, the, the solution is, is well, okay, what you need to do is if you give your heart to Jesus, if you accept him into your heart, then you'll be saved. Does anybody catch the key problem with one word? If. Because notice, it's putting it on your back. There's actually a great old Lutheran book that many pastors are required to read called The Hammer of God, and there's this wonderful scene where there's this old pastor and a young pastor, and the young pastor talks about giving his heart to Jesus, to which the wiser old pastor said, why do you give that rusted old tin can to him?" As if our heart is something to give to God, and I'm not talking about a physical heart, I'm talking about our inner being. See, our heart is the problem why would we give that to god that's the broken part but still we think okay we're not that awful that's what we, we want to convince ourselves that we're, we're okay we're not that bad but the thing is is all the thing that happens when you follow a worse theology if you do want to know what god's command is in terms of how good you have to be to be saved if it's all in worse, You have to be as perfect as your Heavenly Father. That means you can't sin one little itty bit. Not by any thoughts, not by any words, not even the littlest white lie. Like somebody asks you, do I look good at this shirt? And you're like, nope. But you say, yeah, wonderful. Even that little white lie, you can't say. Which, by the way, that also—if you say it's also mean spirited—then I'll kind of try. No matter what you say, you're going to sick. That is how. That is what God demands. is perfection in thought, word, and deed, by what you do and by what you don't do. And so, if you go by words, you're going to always say, "I—you can't keep up." And even if you go into the idea that you have to accept Jesus in your heart, what often happens in many of the church traditions that teach this is that they'll tell you, that they'll, they'll want you to prove that your decision is genuine. See, what ends up happening is good works comes in the back door. And if you're not living like a Christian, then apparently your decision wasn't genuine. Maybe you really didn't mean it. And so again, so they'll call you a backslider, is the term. And begin to, and eventually you're on that there, And begin to doubt more and more. And eventually, some begin give up. Then there's, you look at this text. And why this text is such a source of confusion is because it says, That God the Father chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love. So what were you doing before the foundation of the world? Nothing. You didn't exist. Which, by the way, this is a reminder that God's salvation was not a plan B. Many times you hear that Jesus going to the cross was plan B. No, he planned it before he even began creating the heavens and the earth. He already knew that not what, not only what he was going to do, and he, but he even knew that he would choose you for salvation. So that words, salvation is completely one hundred percent the credit of God, one hundred percent God's work. So by the blood shed on the cross by Jesus and the grace poured upon those whom he has chosen it is all his work. So if God does 100% of work, then he chooses some people to be saved, he chooses people to be saved, so the, the Calvinist answer is, okay, if God chooses people for salvation, then obviously he must be choosing people for hell, Or he's neglecting to choose people for salvation like he just isn't at the time to get around to it this is the l in tulip limited atonement the problem with this there's a there's a pastor he's now a lutheran pastor but previously he was actually a, he was a member of a presbyterian church which is part of the calvinist tradition and in the Calvinists, so God chooses some for salvation and some for hell. That is the teaching of hardcore Calvinists. And so the question is, how do you know if you're one of the chosen ones? And they say, well, you've got to look to your life, look to your works, how you live. Well, in this congregation, there is this, me- this member. He was an elder. Very active in his congregation. He taught Sunday school, Bible class. If anybody was going to heaven, it had to be this guy. But in his 40s, he became an atheist. Which, by the understanding of double predestination, he was never saved to begin with. Even though it looked like. Which, if you if you go with that understanding, the question is, how do I know I am? There's no certainty. See what we believe, teach, and confess as Lutherans is the question. So the question. So God. So why somebody is condemned? Scripture tells us that God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Scripture says that God so loved who the world, not just some. It says in 1 John, it says that Jesus was propitiation not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. So why is it that some people are condemned? Because they choose to be. It is 100% their blame. Because they have rejected the one true God. They may have chosen another God, but ultimately they are rejecting the only God that truly exists. God has given them what they want a life apart from them, apart from Him. It is their choice. But this is why there are those who say, well, if it's their choice to be saved, to be condemned, then it must be our choice to be saved. But Scripture says, Jesus said explicitly, you did not choose me, but I chose you. He says that we are born not of a will, not of the human will, nor of the flesh, but of God. And right here, before the foundation of the world, he chose us to be holy and blameless in his sight. He makes it, This doesn't make human logic. And by the way, literally every problem comes from us trying to solve God, but, you know, God's ways, His ways are not our ways. So far beyond us is His mind. See, this is, so is Lutheran's. We need to teach and confess that your salvation, you have absolutely no credit Every little bit of it goes to God. And why does this matter? It may sound like we're splitting hairs, but that actually influences a lot. It influences how you worship. You come to why we are. What we are doing here is ultimately you're not. This is not just an act of obedience, it is to some degree, but ultimately you are coming to receive God's gifts. That's the number one purpose of coming every more every Sunday. If it was just the worship, yes, you could worship on the golf course. Because worship is just lifting God and using your abilities, using your talents. But you come here because God is giving you the assurance of your salvation every single week. And why? Because you forget it, not just every single week, you forget it every day. So he calls you again and again to his means of grace by which he claimed you, he came down and he chose you, he sealed you with the Holy Spirit. The first place that happened is in baptism. You were born dead and your trespasses. The reason why we could baptize a little itty bitty baby or we could baptize someone that's 99 years old or 120 years old, not that daddy will baptism, but if it happens, The reason we could do it is because in the sight of God, we are equally born dead in our sins and trespasses, and we are equally in need to be baptized in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Triune God. And so when you are baptized in the name of the Triune God, you receive the Holy Spirit, you receive forgiveness, you receive a new identity, and through it, He is choosing you as His child. And through his word, you come to hear his word through which he again is pouring forth his grace to you. For it is bought, so as it says right in this text In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believe in him were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. So ultimately, it's the hearing of the Word, which, by the way, baptism is not baptism just to the water. It's with the Word that's baptism. But with the Word, when you hear it, you keep it the Holy Spirit, you are receiving grace. You're receiving the Spirit. And in a little bit, when you come to the altar, you will taste salvation. And because of the wine, you will smell salvation. Because of the bread, you will touch it. And some people might touch the wine, too, with their fingers away. But either way, you're going to taste, touch, and smell salvation. Because in the bread is the very body of Jesus. In the wine is the blood of Jesus. And through it, you receive the forgiveness of sins. This is why you gather here. Because you need it in a world where you're constantly being taught to forget that He who is God and constantly being told that you are God. So you're called to come over and over to receive His grace through Word and Sacrament, And that is what you cling to. Notice when you're talking about when we cling to our salvation, where we find our hope, it's not in our works, it's not in a hope that maybe we're chosen, it's to his promises in word and sacrament. We cling to that which is outside of ourselves. There is a this past Wednesday, for I was reading my devotions, The Treasury of Daily Prayer, which is put out by like, 40 Publishing House really nice devotional. For January 1st, there's this really nice devotional by C.F.W. Walton. If you're not familiar with him, he is the first president of the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod. At the very end of it, he, taught, he encourages for the new year to make, to have a watchword. Now, words, a word or a phrase of encouragement as you walk through your year. As you look at what's going on in the world. On that same Wednesday, I was sitting there in Subway, on one one TV is CNN, the other TV is the Weather Channel, which it normally is. CNN was telling us of worries about possible war with Iran. The Weather Channel was telling me about fires in Australia and floods in the southern part of this country. And I'm like, floods, fires, rumors of war. Sounds like something Jesus about. And you look at the world as chaotic as it is. People even reminding us it's the 20s, and the 20s in the history of plagues. By the way, our hymn, one of the hymns in our communion during the communion, that was a hymn that was written during the plague. The pastor that wrote it, his congregation lost 2,000 people in one year to the plague, and yet he wrote, wrote this hymn with incredible joy. But as you live in the midst of turmoil. If you lived in the struggle of your sin, you could be reminded of this one simple phrase. I am baptized. That means you are chosen by God in the waters of baptism to be holy and blameless inside. And he chose you before the foundation of the world. So that means no matter how much the world changes, that doesn't change. I am baptized. I am baptized. Hallelujah. I am baptized. To God be all glory. Amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ keep you the one true faith, the life everlasting. At this time, we continue with the gathering of our offering. As the offering is gathered, we will sing the next song.